Welcome to This is 42 podcast. My name is Desh. This week I speak to the author of Everybody Lies, Seth Stephen Davidovitz. We speak about how data can help us understand the human condition and why Google is really the truth serum out there. We look at racism, current policies, privacy through the lens of data. Now, I'm not doing justice to what is about to come. This was truly a fascinating conversation. Make sure to subscribe and send the link around. We want as many people to hear this. And here it is. I said, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Dash. So you've written a book called Everybody Lies. And initially it sounds like a little fun title. But once you read the book, you realize it is true. And sometimes people don't even know they're lying. It's sort of like the innate, like, you know, we, I like to believe people are generally good. Right. So when, you know, when we respond to a poll or something, whatever, we, we want to be truthful. But then you look at the data from a Google search point of view, and then you found out everybody lies. And what does that, as a data scientist, what does that tell you about the human condition? Uh, yeah, so I think there are two reasons that people lie. One is that we're sometimes lying to ourselves. Uh, frequently, this is, I think, uh, Robert Trevor speaks about the value of self-deception. Uh, that to co- we want to convince, uh, it's good for us to know that other people think high, it's good for us if other people think highly of us, if they think we're really smart and they think that we're really honest and they think that we're really uh, decent. So the best way to convince other people of this is to convince ourselves of this. So we kind of have an incentive to uh, deceive ourselves in a positive direction. So people tend to think more highly of themselves than is, than is accurate. Uh, the other just, th- but then there's, so that's one type of lying. Then there's just lying that uh, is, we know we're lying. You know, we, you, we know exactly what the, our true feelings are, uh, but we're not gonna tell other people again to try to uh, put on a front and make people think uh, more highly of us, uh, but it happens all the time. It happens, and, and then there's and then, and then sometimes it's it's sometimes it's also just not to hurt people, which is not necessarily a bad thing. So, uh, you know, your wife asks you, "How's this meal?" and you say, "Delicious," even though it's not. Is that such a bad thing? Or she says, "You know, how does this dress look?" You say, "It, it looks good," even though it doesn't look so good. Is is that a bad thing? Not necessarily. You know, if I think if, if some, sometimes I think if everybody knew everything, people were thinking about them at any moment, like. Uh, everybody commits suicide and the world would end overnight. So uh, some level of deception uh, maybe allows kind of some level of uh, social cohesion. So when we put these, you know, intentionally or, you know, for, for whatever reason, we, we put out these deceptions online, you know, it's not just Google, you know, on Twitter and Facebook and all these social media platforms or technology platforms they then use that data to improve their services. And the, the data we provide is their starting point. If the data is a lie, I'm specifically going towards social media now. Now the algorithms is enhancing that lie. And we've, we are starting off the point where we were like, we kind of know that we're lying. And then we started really believing in our lie because everything else around us is sort of enhancing that lie. Isn't that inherently bad for humanity? Yeah, so I guess one of the concerns, social media 
people have an incentive to kind of show off to yeah. make their them look like they have this great life so their friends will think they're really cool and then if you see that your friends are uh, have these great lives then you feel that much more pressure to exaggerate how good your own life is and you do get kind of a vicious circle where everybody uh, thinks everyone else's life is so amazing so you know your friend says they're on a, a you know post picture beautiful pictures from their holiday vacation uh, and then you need feel the need to post your pictures and uh, you, you know you go on Facebook and it seems like everybody else is chilling in Hawaii and you're at you know a cubicle or uh, working hard on a boring job you're gonna feel kind of lousy about your own life or everyone seems like their family's getting along great and you're gonna feel lousy that your family's fighting uh, yeah it's it's not I think I think there's real debate about the role that social media is playing and that it is harming people's mental health uh, looking around and seeing uh, this game has always been played right so it's not new that friends show off to other friends and it's not new that people have felt envious of their friends because they're showing off but what's new is now you're not just showing off to your immediate friends you're showing off to thousands of people and if you're a influencer where you have millions of people responding to you right and everyone wants yeah. to be a bit of an influencer now there's like you know micro influencers macro yeah, influencers yeah. it's a thing and some people get paid to do that i think it's yeah it's interesting on the other hand like one of, just to play a little bit of a devil's advocate one of the interesting things about uh i think i think a lot of people not to get too political but i think a lot of people who have really bad lives accept it because they didn't know, don't know how good other people's lives are so Chris Rock once said something, the comedian once said something that's really interesting. I think he grew up in a fairly poor neighborhood and now he's incredibly rich and travels the world luxuriously. And he said, uh, the reason that uh, poor people don't protest is they don't know how good rich people's lives. And he said, if poor people were shown a virgin first class lounge, there would be riots in the street the next day. <laughs> uh, and now you could argue that due to social media, we're getting more pictures of virgin first-class lounges uh, and other displays of ostentatious wealth, which may kind of uh, help, you know, not to get too leftist, but help bring along the revolution that I've been waiting for for since I've been a little boy. But uh, you know, so so that that's kind of a, a you know a, somewhat of a subtle way this could uh, be somewhat helpful. Just showing people showing positive lives i don't think it's we like to think oh it's great that uh people don't know don't see other people having great lives because they're gonna feel crappy but uh maybe showing other people great lives could also uh make people angrier about their own crappy situation which could help level the playing field so it's a yeah, interesting perspective it's I, I i'm not saying that that overcomes the concern of yeah. the concern of the mental health problems yeah. that social media is causing kids uh but yeah. But it is a you know the huge changes in society have many effects. Some of them are obvious, some of them are more subtle, and we kind of have to balance. Uh, think about all the different effects uh, th that are taking place. Which leads into my next question, which is about privacy. I I've heard that you know our concerns about our data privacy, the ship has come and gone. Like it, it, our there's no privacy anymore because uh, you know with with smartphones. Uh, and the fact that we do everything on these devices, companies, governments have access to all this data. And, you know, is that it, should we be worried about our privacy, or is is that now uh, something we have to accept? Like our data is now owned by 
governments and corporations. Yeah, well, nice thing is that most people's most people aren't particularly interesting to other people. So like, so like, so if you think about uh, the percent, uh, a lot of people send nude pictures of themselves to their partners, and then uh, there have been leaks. So Scarlett Johansson was leaked; her nude pictures were leaked. Kate Upton's nude pictures were leaked. Uh, but most people listening probably aren't Scarlett Johansson and Kate Upton, so they're new, no, they say nude links, nobody cares. We're just gonna put any energy into hacking it. Uh, so their, their, sec their secrets are safe by their own uh, ordinariness, I guess. Uh, but, uh, you know, but, but that, that, that said- uh, But that doesn't it, negate that person's right to their privacy. Yeah, it doesn't negate that Scarlett Johansson and Kate Upton have yeah, rights to not have those pictures yeah. uh, released. Uh, I, 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 it's, uh, it's, it, or you, sometimes it may be that it's going to be so impossible to stop this that if you are Scarlett Johansson and you are Kate Upton, you kind of just have to not, and you don't want the world seeing nude pictures of you, you kind of just have to not send them on your email. Uh, that's kind of one of the, you know, one of the drawbacks of maybe becoming that famous. I don't know. Uh, it, so I, I, I don't know. That might be the only, at least a temporary solution. Right. I don't, because it is. It, some of these protect, you know, protecting the world from crazy hackers who try every single password uh, is pretty difficult. So, I was speaking to an entrepreneur who's in the tech industry. He's called Gary Vaynerchuk, and he said, as soon as we get over uh, that this privacy concerns, the world will be a better place. We just have to acknowledge that our privacy is no longer ours. If everyone accepts it, will be a better place. I found that a bit troubling. That you know, it's it's something that we have to now accept. As a data scientist, where do you where do you? Yeah, I mean, I I I I don't I don't go that far. It 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 is interesting if you just do thought experiments. Like if everybody in this room, everybody in this room is wearing clothes, and would be incredibly embarrassed, presumably, if they weren't wearing clothes and everyone else was wearing clothes. But if everybody here wasn't wearing clothes and, and didn't wear clothes their whole lives, then probably everybody would just not care and it would just be a normal part of everyday life. Uh, so we do get in these equilibria where we get it, you know, like everybody would be embarrassed of something that really everybody does and shouldn't be embarrassed. So maybe that's kind of one of the points that Gary uh, was making. Uh, that said, I, I don't think that, I think there are clear values in privacy uh, and values in having secrets and that uh, the world doesn't need to know it. You know, I think one of the things is that everyone's like a little bit Nobody's perfect, right? Everybody has kind of their, their weaknesses. And uh, one of the values, one of the dangers in privacy is you could get in a different, if we got in a world where everything you did was made publicly available, say, you might get in a different bad equilibrium where everybody just put all their energy into looking good on paper because all that stuff was out there. And that I think would be even, even worse. Uh, so, yeah. So y you look at, data and that's the thing that interests you the, this means it reveals the paradox of the human condition so you know a lot about how, how we think and what we do how does that affect your personal life your relationships and the people you hang around with you know it you know what they say and potentially it's not what they actually do uh I mean, I think at some level we all know that. Like at some level, you all know that everybody's putting out a little bit of a front uh, when they're talking to you or when they're speaking to you. Or you know that someone on a first date is going to be different than 
they're 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 not revealing their true true uh, personalities. Actually, someone Elaine de Botton said the only relevant question, if first dates were really to be most useful, the only relevant question would be how are you crazy, and then we'd each ask each other how are you crazy, and then we could figure out if our crazies are compatible. But of course, you'd never you'd never do that. But I think. There is, I think most people, once you've been in a few relationships and get to know human beings, forget the data, you kind of have a sense that everybody's kind of nuts <laughs> in their own way and that they're not gonna tell you that on a first date or even months or years into a friendship. So uh, so I don't know if it's that, I don't know if-, if, if So does, does, I, does looking at this data make you more positive about the human condition? Or does it make you more depressed? No, more. I'd say more depressed. <laughs> I'd, like to, I'd like to say otherwise, but- uh, I mean, I think there's a lot, there's a lot more suffering or a lot more nastiness than I would have realized. Uh, you know, I, I do this research in racism, and you know, the number of people who make these explicitly racist searches uh, that doesn't make me feel too good about the world. Uh, what does that tell you about? Uh, so, what can we do? So now that for you, you've seen how bad the world is. Or you know, you have a relatively negative. Uh, view of where humanity is heading do you feel helpless or do you feel like well now that we know this is what's wrong can we do something about it no yeah th that's that's what makes me optimistic it's that i think data science could really help you the problem is there's kind of a war between data science like good people and bad any new technology powerful new technology has good uses and bad uses so like i i can do studies on how we can lo potentially lower racism with unprecedented data into people's racist thoughts thanks to the internet uh, but some evil politician, and I, I'd, I'd like, you know, I hope, I think that I'm, my goal in this project would be to lower racism. The racism is a horrible thing. I think racism is a horrible thing. My grandparents are Holocaust survivors. I know how horrible ra racism can be and the cost of racism. Some evil politician could use this data to figure out how to increase racism uh, so that he could get elected. So there's really... <laughs> That it's the, I, I like to be optimistic that I think in general there are more good people than bad people. There are more people who are trying to improve the world than trying to hurt the world. Uh, so I hope that uh, more that kind of the good side will win out and that this powerful data will be used to help people in various ways. Uh, so how do you respond um, to companies that say that we have access to X amount of data and we can do Y with it. For example, for a specific example, um, you know, the, the famous scandal, uh, you know, where a corporation specifically said we have 5,000 data points of all Americans and we can quite literally manipulate and swing an election into one side. We're talking about the you know, 2016 now infamous uh, election that got Trump in, and which you know there's one particular UK-based company said we were instrumental in that. Is there truth to a statement like that? Are, are our data that easily, you know, manipulated? I like, think data analysis can be incredibly powerful uh, in the in the right hands. The right data in the right hands can be incredibly powerful. I would say 99% of examples I hear of powerful uses of data, I don't believe. Uh, just being close enough in this field and knowing, uh, like many areas of the world, there are a lot of snake oil salesmen uh, that you know claim that you're doing things that I don't think they're, do they're able to do. I am incredibly skeptical that the Cambridge Analytica people were doing, were one, 
thousandth as powerful as they claim they were, or maybe one millionth as powerful as they claim they were, or even whether they added any value to the campaign using their psychographic targeting uh, models. Uh, I don't. I I I I don't. I don't believe they they were. I I'm. I know. I know they weren't that effective, and I would guess strongly they weren't at all effective. Right. So um, I know a few stories, especially in um, Asia, uh, in uh, Burma and in Sri Lanka, where because of social media, riots erupted, people lost their lives. Um, in the West, because of parliamentary hearings and big fines, etc., it feels like social media organizations, they are forced to take some action. But in countries like you know, Burma and Sri Lanka, they don't really have that much of an incentive. For example, what happened to the Rohingya people that was instigated primarily on Facebook. It was this fake news where you have a country that had limited access to the internet and the internet was purely, Facebook was their internet. People didn't have internet, they just had Facebook. And they thought that was internet and it was very easy to, uh, you know, virality of fake news was a common thing. Same thing happened in Sri Lanka, which then led into massive riots, etc. So my question to you is, there are uh, some people who were at the forefront of setting up some of these social media companies now saying government should get involved and actually regulate uh, you know, some of this data and access to data. Where do you sit with a claim like that? I think I, I support regulation. I think any, again, powerful new technologies have massive effects, positive and negative. But Twitter seemed to play a big role in the Arab Spring, which we thought was a good thing. Now maybe it's not a good, good thing. When you're talking about massive societal changes or attempts at societal change, it's so hard to you know measure what caused them, all the effects of them. Uh, but when you have a specific example like the ones uh, I mentioned, like in Burma and Sri Lanka, you can pinpoint where the trouble started. Yeah, I think that's def definitely an area for uh, re regulation. Regulation against cyberbullying, I think, is definitely wise. I think they're clear. It's clear that some bullying has always been a problem among young people, but it does seem to be worse, get worse in, in with cyberbullying, and that should definitely be regulated. They're definitely. I think clear cases where we'd like to regulate. And unfortunately, sometimes the only way to do these regulations is to have examples uh, like you talked about uh, to, and then uh, go, oh, now, now this is a problem we didn't know about. Here's how we're gonna regulate it. It's really hard beforehand to think through all the possible use cases. But uh, then, you know, the, so the, the same places I mentioned, uh, democracy is a, you know, it's a bit of a loose scenario where you have pseudo-authoritarians using democracy to get power and if they're the ones who are in charge of controlling uh, social media platforms that's an easy gateway into the, for them to censor you know political dissidents so yeah uh, yeah it's uh, I, I think the general way to deal with that is to make more countries dem democratic I think uh, you know if you have an evil Dictator. But, but, but these countries are already democratic, but uh, you know, so the people are elected, right? But it, 
although there's democracy there, it is a bit loose, like corruption is rampant and there are a lot more control, state-controlled media, etc. Um, you know, if there, I don't foresee anytime soon in countries like this democracy. I mean, even in America, you know, democracy is there, but then you have interesting scenarios like people vote for person X, but person Y get elected because there is a secondary system like the Electoral College. Like in a country like Australia, people don't vote for the person, you vote for the party and then the party elects your prime minister. So, you know, democracy itself is, is it's, it sounds great. Yeah, we should have democracy, but I don't know if, if it is the right answer. I mean, I feel like social media and data is so ma such a massive area. I don't feel like the governments can really do anything right now because by the time governments get their shit together, well, something else has happened. So what, do you, what's the, what do you propose? So my, my, my question to you is, as a data scientist, at what point should a government get involved? Is it the point of data collection? Is it, or once the data is collected? Like, I, I don't know the answer. I'm just saying, I'm just pointing, pointing like all these faults that I can see. Anywhere. Yeah, I mean, I thought GDPR was a step in the right direction. Uh, that's kind of a big example of- well, What's GDPR? So it's a way that it basically limits uh, it basically informs users much more, makes users consent to give their data to companies, and it was basically by the uh, the EU kind of put that in place. Uh, so that was an example where I think there. This is the one that recently. That oh, was a few okay. years ago now. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So that that was it, it, like if you go through, uh, if you go through, I was just in uh, England, and the internet there is very different from the internet in the United States. You're constantly uh, getting having to agree to to do different things and being able to opt out of situations. Uh, so it really slows down the whole process of data collection. It takes people's privacy a lot more serious, seriously. And uh, so, so examples like that, I think, show that governments can uh, kind of step in and uh, get it. And, and that was kind of after the Cambridge Analytica scandal, which even though I think was a made up scandal, uh, was actually, uh, did kind of show, did kind of raise people's awareness about privacy and the power of corporation, the power of data in probably helpful ways. Uh, so I think, uh, all that, again, we do have examples of governments stepping in and, and regulating and, uh, you know, and good governments stepping in and regulating. So I wouldn't just throw up our arms and say governments can't do anything. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, if you have a government that's, that doesn't have the people's interest at heart, uh, that's gonna be a bad situation, whether Facebook exists or doesn't exist. Uh, th those, those governments have done, such governments have done awful things for centuries uh i don't know yeah it's 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 a, it's a bad situation we should try to avoid it at all costs all right so um i want to talk about racism this is something that you mentioned in your book uh and we want to believe that racism is a fringe thing but the data you are finding in america at least it doesn't it doesn't seem to be the case um have you looked into sort of a global snapshot of this? Is it a very American thing or is it a globally it's the same? Yeah, I think it, we got to look at it country by country. My guess is that you're going to find that such tools as uh, Google searches, I talk about websites, Stormfront, which is really popular in the United States, kind of a white supremacist organization, that these types of tools are going to reveal 
uh, levels of racism that are higher than we traditionally would have thought. And uh, it's kind of, but it's kind of, kind of, you kind of have to explore country to country because you, you can't, the same tools aren't really necessarily the right way to approach it. So, you know, for example, in the United States, I study N-word, kind of Google sure, searches sure. for the N-word or N-word jokes, and that's a particular type of racism that's popular in the United States. Uh, that particular word has, you know, such a long sordid past in this country uh, that wouldn't be the right way to, to study racism in different parts of the world. So every kind of study, every kind of country is going to have to approach this one uh, on its own. But I think uh, generally, are we going to find that racism is higher than we'd guess by asking people? Yes, because in most places, people don't want to say that they're racist. So I think that'll be kind of a general, unfortunately, a fairly general finding. So um, do, corp- uh, do corporations like, say, Google, Facebook, do they have a responsibility? Let's say uh, you know, someone is searching um, sort of content that is quite far right, followed that up by potentially how to buy a gun or things like that. Do corporations have a responsibility or should they then alert authorities automatically or should, should there be some code written for that to happen? Is that something? I think that's a real dangerous area to get into. There might be, I can imagine scenarios where someone reveals through their internet behavior a clear plan to commit a horrible act that you would want to intervene. You know, we want to be really cautious in this area because a lot of people, uh, it's not a crime to have bad thoughts. It's not, I don't think it should be a crime to have bad thoughts. Sometimes people make searches because they're curious. I don't think we want to say anyone who searches. Uh, you know, it's, I, I talk about my book, searches, I want to kill my wife. It's doesn't like, necessarily mean they won't actually kill their wife. First of all, it doesn't mean that they actually want to. It might mean they just were curious. I, I made that search when I was writing my book because I'm like, what comes up when someone makes that search? So I can kind of understand yeah. better if people are making the search. So that's kind of one use case. Sometimes someone just has a thought like, oh, I want to kill my wife. And then it passes. And, you know, we don't consider that a crime. So I think you know. I I, I remember reading um, an article in Australia. So Australia has a bit of a problem with, um, uh, I, I believe, one uh, one person dies and uh, one female dies at the hands of somebody they know in Australia every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, or something along those lines. Once a week, I'm going to double check this statistic. And I remember reading a um, article about a person that was killed by their husband, and their internet search history shows the premeditation over a period of like three months. This person really searching how to get away with that. Right um, now that we have algorithms to really understand the behavior, uh, because I, I remember um, um, reading an article where, um, where it shows that contrary to what we think that Facebook is, because sometimes we'll say something and then we'll see an ad reminiscent of what we were just talking about. And I, re- I read an article where it says, it's not necessarily Facebook is listening to you, rather, Facebook knows you and your actions so well, it can easily predict what you are going to do next, like as, as far as your buying, your consumer habits are concerned. So if we are that other, advanced- some, that, Everybody, like all types of people are talking to me about some ad they saw, which yeah. is related to something they talked about. Part of it is just you only notice it when it's related to something you're talking about. So you see a thousand ads, yeah. 
and 999 of them were you weren't talking about the one that was what you're just talking about you're gonna be like oh my god it's there no it's gonna stick in your mind sure even if it had nothing to do with any algorithm impressive algorithm my, my question is if we let's say we have the technology to predict that well right if we do have that for consumer goods can one hypothesize that the technology is there to pick a murderer before the murder? I'm, I'm not. I'm not opposed to it. I don't think it's obvious that it, it wouldn't work. Uh, I, I haven't seen re like enough research on, on done. Don, I guess the question is, how many people made a string of searches like that, like that person who killed his uh, wife, who never went through and killed killed his wife? Is it? Uh, so we're getting into sort of the minority report kind of, you know. Yeah, but we don't we don't know how many how many people again went th I think what this data is right now this data has been really useful in convicting people of crimes because if you're already a, if you, if let's say a woman was murdered well you got to look at it instead. Yeah, if your woman was murdered, the husband's a su suspect, then you get his computer and you see he was plotting the murder, you're like, okay, that was it's very clear that that you it's all it becomes almost certain that that he committed the crime yeah. whereas there might be for all we know i don't know there might be 300 people who like make a string of searches and one of them kills their uh their wife so do we want to arrest 300 people because we get one person uh who would have killed their wife in jail i think generally the the philosophy of the united states at least has been that's not that's not something we want to do that convicting uh, that putting innocent people in jail is like the worst thing we can possibly do. So uh, you want to be cautious. I, 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 I would like to see research on that where they really could put the best out, the best computer scientists at the task and see just how much, how many crimes could be predicted uh, using this data. I think it's right now just an open question. Right. Um, Basically what the false negative rate would be. Right, right. Um, do you think... Right now, the term search is synonymous with Google. Uh, and in some circles, you don't search, you Google. One corporation pretty much has the monopoly uh, with regards to our search results on the internet. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think monopolies in general are pretty bad. Uh, we, like, we like competition. Uh, I think, you know, Google's a pretty, from my, from my opinion, is Google's about as good a company as there is. I think, you know, they're not perfect, but they really do try to don't be evil. I, I work there, full disclosure, I have friends who still work there. I think they generally uh, have pretty good uh, instincts, uh, but I think competition's good. I think it's gonna be really hard. Some of these internet areas, it's not even clear how you make it competitive because Google's advantage is that they have they have so many ser people making searches that they have just better data than everybody else. So they know, uh, for even fr they, even s searches that only a small number of people make, they know kind of what they they ended up looking at, what they wanted, and they can make their system much more powerful. Uh, to some degree, it's almost inevitable that you're going to have one winner in that space uh, because whoever has the most data is going to have the best product. All right. So just to wrap up, I'm conscious of your time. Um, it are we, are we losing a window to have good data? Because using the example of Google, you can find almost anything on Google. You, whatever confirmation bias you want to prove, there's data for it. Right. And I know I've heard Google are trying to 
rank certain things in certain ways. But even if you go there right now and searches to prove whatever flat earth or whatever you want, anti-vaccination, you will find hundreds of hundreds of pages worth of data. My question is, is there such thing as good data for an average punter on Google? Uh, I mean, again, this is an area where there's never been a shortage of bad information. I think the world we live in is probably better. It's easier to find the truth than any time in human history. Uh, I think last earlier ages, we just had so little information and so much was hidden for us and we we're kind of in the blind. And now the truth kind of is out there, but you have to kind of practice uh, how to find it and how to know what's accurate and what isn't accurate. And again, all uh, you're right, confirmation bias uh, is a dangerous thing that it's it can be hard to it can be hard to find the truth not because uh it it isn't out there and not because we couldn't figure out the right way to find it if we really really try but because we don't want to believe it we don't want to find it so we go deliberately searching should, should google the point i say is if someone's searching for lay they would they want to figure out is the you know is a, a planet earth flat yeah should it pop up something saying no, it's not, but here's what you're looking for. <laughs> I think it's, I mean, th that's obviously a dangerous precedent yeah. because what do you, who, who gets to determine, uh, is it some Google engineer that gets to determine what's true and what's false? And there are lots of areas where the experts all thought something w was true and it turned out to be false. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's, 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 it, yeah, it, it, we, I don't think we really have an answer to that yet. Uh, I, and another thing is, you know, one of the things that people, as you said, you talk about confirmation bias, a lot of it is some flat earthers there's nothing you can show them that will change their opinion if you if you have a big warning from google saying no it's not that's just going to convince them more that they're google's in yeah, on it google's in on it everyone's yeah. in on it so right, conspiracy right. theorists can really turn any information into their uh, fitting their theory what's your next book on uh so i'm writing a book on how you can use data to make better personal decisions better decisions in your personal life so your first book uh, paint as, painted as a picture of how terrible humanity is and I know you tried really your hardest to live a positive spin but after reading that book everybody lies humanity is full of assholes um, but your next book seems like you're really trying to help people well it's also because everybody lies one of the lies that people ha have one of the most common lies is what they're really interested in and I think so there's a kind of a, d a depressing motivation in my next book which is that when I ask people like, what are you, what are, what are you, you know, why were you drawn to my book? It's like, I want to learn more about racism, how we can fight it or child abuse and how we can fight it. But then like, you can now see from Amazon Kindle what people underline in your book. So I can look at that. And it was all just like, how can I get a date? How can I lose weight? How can I, <laughs> like nobody cared about the actual racism, child abuse stuff. So to some degree, uh, there's a positive thing, which I'm going to use data to help people you know, better themselves. It's funny, but, I hear this, you, you keep trying to do that, but all the data you keep finding is like, humanities, there's nothing we can do, we're doomed. <laughs> I know there's nothing we can do, but I think generally, yes, are people more selfish than they let on and more self-absorbed than they let on? A hundred percent, there's no getting around that. Uh, so are they more drawn to books that are gonna help themselves than books that are gonna like, help them figure out how to solve the world's problems? Yes, so that's- well, we're looking forward to the next book, and ho hopefully it'll have some positivity at the end, uh, so we don't feel that depressed. But yeah, yeah. thank you, really. Thanks. I appreciate the time today. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks, man.